Hi, I'm Larita Gorman, a fellow human in this wild life, and a somatic psychotherapist, writer, and storyteller. And welcome to Unraveled, the podcast where we explore the depths of what it means to be human while unraveling the layers within ourselves that have been holding us back. Together, we will learn how to connect more deeply with our wild selves, unlearn the conditioning that has shaped us, and rise from the rubble so that we can reclaim our sense of self while remaining rooted. It can feel overwhelming trying to navigate our emotions, relationships, and day-to-day humanness. So you don't have to do it alone because we aren't meant to. I will be bringing you real and honest conversations, embodied guidance, and powerful insights to support you in healing trauma and reclaiming all of who you are so that you can feel grounded, empowered, and free. I am so excited to be bringing this podcast to you. And if you are willing, let's unravel together. Since I left my rules back home. Hello and welcome to the Unraveled Podcast. I am your host, Larita Gorman, and welcome to this different episode today. So for those of you who've been following along with the podcast journey, you will know that I took a giant hiatus. So there was this huge buildup and excitement leading up to the podcast launch, which was end of May. And it took me two years to launch this podcast. So there was a lot of buildup towards it. And if you listen to the first introduction episode, you'll understand why it took me so long. And I launched the podcast end of May with the intention of releasing episodes every two weeks, roughly. And you all never heard from me again. (laughs) It was just crickets. And so this episode is a conversation explaining the hiatus and giant step back that I took, what was going on for me behind the scenes, the choices I was making the decisions I was making and what I was tending to for the last several months. And so today's episode also involves a very special guest, Andy, my beautiful partner. And I felt it was important and also needed to have his voice here because he was very much behind the scenes with me navigating a lot of different things. And so For those who know human design, (laughs) I am a manifesting generator. So is Andy. (laughs) And we do best when we are responding to something. And so I actually sat down last Friday to try to do this podcast episode and give an update, but it didn't feel right. And it wasn't in flow and I wasn't capturing everything that I wanted to capture. And this morning, Sunday, October 16th, Andy and I got up as we do on our usual Sunday mornings and just have a nice slow start. And we ended up just having a huge, deep conversation that was not expected. And we, that's just what we do. We just start talking about something and it completely unravels and we go into all different areas, but it was a really beautiful conversation. So then we had the idea of, Hey, 
why don't we just hit record, have a conversation. You can be part of this update as well. And so here you are sitting with me. (laughs) Welcome to the Unravel podcast. Thanks, love. Thanks for the beautiful introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say before we dive in that a huge part of also why I wanted to bring Andy onto this episode is because he has been a massive source of support and love and care throughout the last few months. And he has held such beautiful space for me and for us as a couple, as we've navigated these waters and the big swells that have come in. (laughs) And I'm just so grateful for you (laughs) and all that you have been throughout the last few months. It's been, so important for me, so meaningful for me. And I couldn't have gotten through it the way I did without you. So thank you. Thanks, Al. Really sweet of you. You've done awesome. <laughs> anyway, so let's get a bit of context to the gap between your podcast. So there's been quite a lot that's happened between now and what, May? Since May. you launched the last podcast. Yeah, so let's, let's rewind. Start... Yeah. And I almost feel that I need to rewind even further just to give a bit more context. Yeah. Sure. Last November, 2021, I started to feel this shift beginning. And the only way I could describe it at that point was a death rebirth cycle. But essentially I'm referring to this dark night of the soul, some people will call it death rebirth cycle. Some people will call it basically what it means is you're in the thick of stuff. You're facing off with big things and it's requiring you to really face off with yourself in ways that are really stretchy in ways that are really uncomfortable in ways that we may resist. And I felt that start last November and it wasn't for any particular reason. It was more of an intuitive just nudge. I just had this sense. I remember sharing it with you and I just said, I feel like this is starting this process. And naively back then I thought, okay, it'll be just like a couple months. (laughs) I laugh now and I'm humbled now because that is so not what it was. (laughs) It's been a massive initiation in so many ways. I can't begin to even share, but that feels important to share. And that began in November and January, we both got COVID. Yeah. And so that was part of this. And for me personally, I really struggled with the experience I had getting COVID, not from a physical perspective, but from a mental health perspective. So I'm not going to dive too much into that, but that might be another episode, but I'm going to leave it at that. And that was another piece of this. And I had to really meet myself in a lot of different ways in that journey as well. And then after that, it was shortly after that, that I was off my feet. I had another skin thing happen. That's right. What's that? Yeah. And so I was off my feet for about four to six weeks. Couldn't walk. It sucked. It did suck. (laughs) (laughs) It very much sucked. And that was, again, another opportunity to just sit, feel, acknowledge, 
face off with things. And I had so much yeah. resistance. <laughs> you had quite a retirement where you've just been forced to sit. Forced to sit. Yeah. <laughs> COVID knocked me off my feet for a month. Yeah. Then that for a month, four to six weeks about. Yeah. So there was two times already in the beginning of 2022 where that happened. I would be off my feet, get back up, think life is continue on, and then boom, knock back off my feet again. And then get back up. And it was only... About two months after that, but then the next thing happened that yeah. knocked me off my feet. So before that happened, what were we doing? We were renovating. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we just bought this place. You know, it was super exciting and tenants moved out. And so we had to hustle, hustle, hustle and rip out the floors, paint the house, put new flooring down, blah, 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 before we moved in. So it was all go, go, go for the, well, that was pretty much a month straight or more. Was it? I feel like more? it was more. So anyways, we were yeah. doing renovations and, and yeah, and it was super stressful, but also super exciting. Yeah. We were so excited to start this new chapter yeah. and it very much felt like a new chapter. We kept talking about it for months leading up to it, yeah. how this would be a fresh start yeah, so. and, and the symbolism of it was so much more than just moving into a new house. It yeah. was symbolic of a lot of different things for us. So we were super excited Andy was working his butt off between doing a lot of the renos himself, but also working. So it was exciting. Yeah. We were so excited <laughs> and choosing colors and flooring. Oh gosh, <laughs> choosing color, choosing flooring, like all the things. So for those of you who've been in that chapter of your life before, you'll understand the emotions and energy around that. So that was all happening. Now, during that time of renos, we hadn't moved into the house yet. I also had to go and have a biopsy and... I just want to give some context. I was feeling that I needed to get something checked out on my body. And I did. I trusted that intuition and I sought out a doctor. And the first doctor said, no, everything's fine. But I still didn't feel like it was. So then I went to another doctor and said, hey, can you look at this? Doctor number two, same thing. Yeah, no, that's fine. Nothing to worry about. That happened another two times. So in total, there was four doctors, four doctors who said, everything's fine. Deep down, I knew it wasn't. And the only way I can explain that is intuition. And thank God that I had that connection mm. and acted on it and trusted it because it led me to another doctor who also said, I don't think it's anything to be worried about, but let's do a biopsy. And so this is all going on. I have the biopsy. I'm still at the house doing renos with you, doing all the things. And then a week later, you were at work and I got a phone call from the receptionist at the office. And she said, yes, we have your results and you're going to need treatment, but I'll call you back. And that was all she said. <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah, not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to notice my mind spiraling. And yet I also had to rein it in and thought, okay, let's not jump to conclusions. I remember doing the dishes in the kitchen and I just said, everything's going to be fine. And I didn't message you. I didn't call you. I didn't message anybody. I just had this moment to myself of, okay, something's up. I'm going to need treatment. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what's going on, but let me try to ground myself as much as possible. And then about an hour later, the next phone call came in, same receptionist, 
And she said, your results came back. It's malignant melanoma and you need surgery right away. That conversation was not a long conversation, but it was so confronting to receive that news. And I remember vividly my hands starting to shake in the kitchen to the point that I used my one hand to grab my other arm to just try to stop the shaking. And she's giving me all this information. I can't make sense of it. I can't absorb it. I don't know what it means. And that was it. And so I didn't know what stage it was. I didn't know if it had spread. I didn't know anything other Mm -hmm. than it's melanoma and you need treatment. So I had a moment, I got off the phone. I had a moment to myself to really just sit with that before I reached out to anybody. I couldn't reach out to my family back home because of the time change. They were all sleeping. It was middle of the night and you were at work, but I did end up calling you a little bit later. And do you remember that phone call? Yeah. Yeah. All I really remember was telling you it's bad news and I was struggling to breathe. Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. I remember hearing it and immediate thought was, this is big and I just need to be really, really supportive right now because this is big hard news, especially when you get that kind of diagnosis and lots of people fear it and they don't think it will happen to them. And just to get the news and not know the details of it, that's when your mind really spirals and everything like that. Mm. Yeah, it was a moment for sure. Yeah. And to really try and breathe, mm-hmm. take a deep breath, ground, name the facts, the information, so don't get too lost, and just really try and really calm and be really supportive. And yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. You have to. Otherwise, you're going to spiral. Yeah. 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 And I remember you were supposed to come up to the house to do renovations right after work. I remember you telling me, no, I'm not going. I'm going to come home as soon as I'm done and I'm just going to come and be with you. And that felt really important to me. I needed somebody (laughs) to just share space with me. And that felt really important. And yeah, I don't remember what we did, but we came home. I cried. We chatted later that night. I called home and had a conversation with my dad and he's always such a solid rock in these kind of conversations. And he was really supportive and and grounding and he had shared the news with my mom. And then I eventually had a chat with her. And again, I still didn't have much information. And of course it was confronting for my entire family to also hear that news. They all have their own experience of what that's like to receive that kind of news and I don't have that side of it Mm. I don't have that side of the experience of what is that like to hear that your loved one has that kind of diagnosis so maybe you can share a little bit about not just that day but just that day and then moving onwards Mm. what that was like for you to be on that side of it yeah well I guess like initially getting news like it's a form of one that kind of makes me want to take a deep breath. Like it almost takes a breath away in that kind of sense. And there's two kind of ways that you go about it. It's like you could really start to panic and freak out about it a little bit. Did you? Because, no, I could see there was a part of me that could because, you know, it's worrying. You know, but the fact is you don't know the details of it. And in reality, it's like it's probably not, it's, well, it's not going to serve 
any positive purpose or outcome to react in that kind of way where you you're really worried and yeah the only thing you can really do is to really just be calm talk through it of course name the emotions but just gotta hold it together and of course i have to really hold it together for you you're the one experiencing it going through it yeah like of course it was concerning definitely i'm not going to deny that but I don't think it was of any value to really express my concern because I didn't want to worry you or anything like that. Mm. Just had to try and be supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. And those first five days, I don't know why five. It was just five days. I don't know why. But I was in a state of shock. I'll never forget the level of nausea that I had. And there was anxiety, there was fear, and there was nausea for those first five days. And I now know what people mean when they say it's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you think of before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. Now that isn't just going through this specific circumstance, but I think of people who've lost people in grief and the first thing you think of when you open your eyes and there's this split second moment where you haven't remembered And then you remember and think it's the worst feeling in the world world because for that few seconds, Everything seems okay in yeah, your world. The rug gets pulled out. The rug gets pulled out. Yeah. And it's almost like you have to feel that again yeah. and go yeah. through that again. Again, use again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really truly felt like that. And yeah. it was this feeling in my stomach of, oh yeah, this is real. I mm. have to actually face this yeah. and deal with this and go yeah. through the motions. And yeah. so that was five days that that happened. And when I say five days, that was when it was the most intense And I remember having this experience of a bit of dissociation Mm. of checking out from my body because I was fearful of feeling that and acknowledging that, oh, there's cancer cells on the body, in the body. And Mm. where are they going? Has it like, I just, I remember having that experience and I had to check out for a little bit. And then it's so interesting where the mind goes because then I it was falling down other kind of spirals in my mind. But anyways, that's another episode, I think. <laughs> so that went on for about five days. And I remember having those intrusive thoughts, a lot of intrusive thoughts. And for anyone who's ever experienced intrusive thoughts, gosh, they are so challenging. Mm. And they truly live up to that name, intrusive, because they would just come into my mind Without any warning, they would just flood in like really fast and really strong. And it's not about pushing them away, which is, I think, sometimes the tendency is let's just get rid of them and push them away. But that's usually just amplifies them. So it's more so about how do we change how we're relating to them. But anyways, I wasn't in the space for that. I was in survival mode at that point. And I remember having a conversation with my mom in tears, crying, saying, I'm so scared. And what if this doesn't go well? And what if all the what ifs? And what Mm -hmm. if I don't survive this? And I remember her saying, you will, you will survive this. And I just was in such a fragile state. And it's truly facing off with your own mortality is just a wild experience. Because like what you said, you never think you're going to be the one to get that news. Yeah, yeah. Nobody does, especially yeah. when you're young. Yeah. Especially when you're young, you feel invincible. And I, yeah. the interesting thing is, you want to know what's really weird? 
is that a few months prior to getting diagnosed, I remember seeing Instagram reels and one in particular of a young girl in her 20s sharing her diagnosis with melanoma and the surgery and treatment she went through and now being cleared and moving on with life. And I remember watching that and I just had, I don't know, something struck me about it. Yeah, it stuck with me. It stuck with me. That was before my biopsy. That was before any of that. Yeah. And then I couldn't also help but think of other people who has shared their journeys on social media about melanoma and young people who've died. And so there's this thing with melanoma where people have this belief, oh, it's just skin cancer. Mm. And that's very much the narrative for a lot of people. They believe it's just skin cancer. And just to name some facts here, it's the most deadliest of skin cancers it spreads and metastasize for a lot of folks, not everybody, but for a lot of folks, it does. It's a very sneaky cancer as well. It's different from other ones and other ways. And so it's quite scary and people don't realize how deadly it actually is. And so I was having all these, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. I was also having a lot of fear around making the wrong decisions for myself and my health and fearing that I don't have enough information to make the right decision, right? So all that was going on. And I remember telling a few people and it was just my immediate family and a few select friends who knew. And I remember specifically a few of them, I could hear their concern when I told them. Mm. I could hear it on the other end of the phone. I could hear their breath just stop for a moment. I could hear it. Yeah. I could hear it in the silence, but I could hear it in just that moment. And so this was going on for about five days. And then I just remember going through the motions of the tears and then something switched and there's nothing that happened that switched. Something just switched. Yeah. I was impressed. It's almost like you, I I remember I was talking about, and maybe this was a bit later, but getting a diagnosis of cancer has been a big fear and as it is for a lot of people, then to actually have that, even though I don't know the details or anything like that and severity at this point, I think knowing that you've got the diagnosis, but you're okay, you've got this, you're handling it, really was like a turning point in terms of like, I'm good, I'm still strong, you know, I can move forward. I remember the exact words I said to you, and I remember exactly where we were driving. We were leaving Budrum. I think we were heading to the house. Mm. And I remember the roundabout we went through. I remember it so vividly. And I said to you, it was so wild to have this shift. And I was, we were driving in the car. And at first, the first question I asked you, I said, Andy, how are you doing? And I said, don't pretend to just be strong for me. Can you like, just actually, how are you doing? And Mm. are you scared? And are you worried? And you had said something along the lines of 90% of me feels like everything's going to be okay. And there's 10% that is scared and worried about what if it isn't? but I can't let myself go into the 10%. So I just stay in the 90%. I remember that Mm. comment. And I remember what I'd said to you. I said, Andy, the thing I fear the most has already happened. And I'm not scared anymore because I'm okay. And I'm right here. And it was almost this freedom, Mm. which just sounds so weird, but that's what it is. It's like, oh, wow. The thing I fear the most has already happened. I'll never forget that moment in the car. Beautiful moment, Liberating. Yeah. And so after that, I had this new 
way of being about it. And I remember another conversation we had sitting in the kitchen and bedroom and we were just having dinner chatting. And I'd said to you, it doesn't matter who's here supporting me right now. It doesn't matter if I was in a room full of all my family and all my friends at the end of the day, it's between me and God. And at the end of the day, it's me alone who has to walk this path. It doesn't matter how much you're supporting me. It doesn't matter how much anybody is supporting me. It is me who has to walk this path. Yeah. And only you know what it's like to feel it and experience it and be in the body. Yeah, totally. So it just had me thinking around how important put a lot of emphasis on relationships, either intimate relationships or friendships or relationship with family, which is important. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the relationship that is guaranteed to be forever is the one with yourself. Mm -hmm. And how much are we pouring into that relationship? Because when we all go, whenever that time is, that's what we're left with. And you'd be drawing on that strength of the, uh, that sense of self. Mm Hmm. So then Mm -hmm. for a few weeks after that, I was really in a good place. I was just very focused on the renos and I was, I had things to work on. I remember having this experience of just, yeah, there's concern, there's worry, but it's actually not going to serve me leading up to surgery. It's not going to do any good and it's not going to change the outcome. If anything, it's just going to make it worse and it's going to put my nervous system in a state of activation and sympathetic charge which isn't going to be helpful. So I remember consciously making the decision that I'm only going to allow myself to get worried when I need to. And so for weeks I was in a really good place. I was in this, I was so existential. Remember I was having these conversations to myself and then I'd come home and talk to you. And it was very much an existential kind of experience. If you remember. Yeah. That is a beautiful little things as much as it's horrible to get information like that and news like that. But some of the little gems that you can extract from these situations are like, it really does, as you said, make you face your own mortality and really think really deeply into it's just me that's going to want this. And it really brings up those questions. It's important to ponder and ask. In answer, but we very rarely ask ourselves. And by asking them and working through that process, we gain a lot of strength out of that. Yeah. Who am I? How do I want to live? How yeah, do I want to be totally. remembered? What yeah. are my values? What matters? And here's the thing getting a diagnosis and news like that, all of a sudden, in an instant, the things that used to matter yeah, totally. absolutely don't matter. It puts things in perspective. Massive. What really matters, what doesn't matter. And yeah. It's in a way good to have a bit of a shake up. It's a big shake out, really. (laughs) (laughs) Pop the brakes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing that I remember, so that day, I remember it was a Thursday. I remember it was a Thursday that I got the news. And then very next day, I had a Reclaim call. So I, for those of you who don't know, I run a Reclaim program and we have monthly calls with the group of women. And so I had to be in a facilitator leadership role literally 12 hours later. And I didn't cancel it because I knew that I had capacity. I checked in with my nervous system first. I knew that I had capacity. And I also knew that it would be helpful for me to be in service for others because if I was left idle, I would have spiraled a bit. And and I remember 
that call with that group of women, I was honest with them. I said, something's happened and I'm not my full self. So you might pick up on my energy shift. I'm not my full Larita self. Hmm. You might pick up on a little things that feel a bit off. So I just want to name that. I want to just be really honest and name that in case you notice that. And I also want to share that I'm not ready to disclose what's been happening. Yeah. And I just was really honest with them saying, yeah, something's happened. It's really challenging. It's really hard. And I'm not in a place that I feel ready to share. And of course they were beautiful about it. They respected it. And I got feedback from one of them later and I had no idea. And they'd said to me weeks later, months, or maybe it was even over a month later, they said, that was really powerful for me. And I was so confused. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean? And they said, you were going through something really challenging and you honored yourself and your process Mm -hmm. and didn't disclose it until you were ready. And for her, she had shared with me that it helped her to also make that choice for herself rather than go and talk to people right away. And yeah, she just said, I just really honored my own process. I wasn't expecting that. And it was just me just choosing for myself what felt good. And I had Mm. no idea that that would support somebody else Mm. in doing the same, but that's another important part. in this whole conversation is that I was very discerning. Only my immediate family knew and a couple selected extended family members and just very close friends. Nobody else knew. And I certainly was not public about it. I was keeping it really private. And that was done with a lot of intention and discernment because I was really in a phase of just honoring my process, honoring what I needed. I also did not Google anything. And can I just say... (laughs) Pat on the back, good job reads, because it's so easy and I've done it in the past. And for those of you listening, you might've also done the Dr. Google thing and you Google a symptom, Mm. you Google what diagnosis and it's like, answer is like immediate death. And I knew that I would spiral and I knew that it would complicate my process. I knew that it would actually affect my decision-making process as well. And so for me, I made the choice to just consult with my specialist and my surgeon And trust also myself, because guess what? Hmm. Me trusting myself got me this diagnosis in the first place. Not Google, not a book, not talking to anybody else. It was me tapping into my own intuition to know that something wasn't okay. So one thing I just want to share for those of you listening, if there's anything that you feel a little bit off about, just go and ask and get a second opinion Hmm. and a third and a fourth and We really have to be our own advocates, not just in health, but in all areas. We have to be our own advocates and our own voice and trust the innate wisdom of our body and our intuition and our instincts. Yeah. Oh, man, can I ask just good information? Like, how did you discern between whether you can intuitively feel and know or if it's just like worry and anxiety? Mm -hmm. How did you discern? That's a great question. This is going to sound really simplistic, but it's the truth. It was a quiet, calm knowing. I wasn't panicking. I wasn't running to doctors in a state of panic and stress. It was this deep seated, quiet, calm knowing. I even remember saying to you, I remember watching TV one night and saying to you, I got to get that mole check. 
but it wasn't a so there's a difference yeah, so between it doesn't, that. doesn't come from the mind then and being like a, yeah a fear anxiety driven thing yeah it wasn't like oh my god you think that this is yeah, okay yeah, and yeah. oh what do you think and it wasn't that kind of energy it was very much a i gotta get that looked at yeah it was just this steady kind of quiet it was a steady quiet deep seated knowing that that ain't right yeah, yeah and i also want to put it into perspective it didn't look gnarly you mm-hmm. saw it it looked yeah. very much like yeah. every other freckle on my body so i just yeah. also want to put it out there that there yeah. was nothing alarm bell about it there was well hence why four doctors thought it was completely fine yeah. it didn't look weird strange nothing but i still knew yeah and so that's how I discern in my own body around intuition versus fear, because mm. you know what it was? It wasn't this sense of urgency either. Yeah. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I need to go to the doctor tomorrow and rushing yeah. around to try to find somebody. It yeah. didn't have that quality at all. Yeah. It was very much. Mm, I got to get that check. Yeah. Comes more of a calm ground and knowing then. Yeah. yeah. Then that sense of urgency and yeah. panic and rush and yeah. like sympathetic charge rushing yeah. through the body. It was just, yeah, go with that looked up. So for anyone listening, trust those instincts, even if you feel silly about it. Like, I think that that's important because... Yeah, it's easy to judge yourself. Yeah, it's yeah. totally easy to judge yourself and yeah. think that you're being sensitive or you're overreacting or you're making something yeah, out of yeah. nothing. And because can let me just say that that saved my life. Truly. Yeah, no, totally. Four doctors yeah. said it was fine. And had I just left that, that would have continued to have grown and spread. Yeah. And I can tell you to this day, there's people who have messaged me saying, you've encouraged me to go mm. get checked. And now I'm getting a biopsy done because I decided to eventually share. Yeah. So that just felt important to share that it's okay to ask your questions and be assertive about yeah. it. And I was assertive. And I was strong in my stance of saying, hey, can you look at this? What do you think? And I didn't just take that first person's answer if it didn't feel Mm. right for me. I went to the next doctor and then I went to the next one and the next one. And I found the right person that was supportive for me in this journey, in that process. Kudos to you guys to show how really tapped in and connected to your body you are, you know? And the importance of it. Yeah. And I feel that it's important to share that. I haven't always been like that though. Yeah. I went through phases in my life where I was very much in a fight flight stage or a freeze stage where I had lost contact with that part, that instinctual sense of self and through doing a lot more work and healing, I've been able to reclaim more of that. Yep. So it feels stronger yeah. and less influenced by outside sources. If that yep. makes sense. Not sure. So anyways, we were trucking along, doing our renos, knowing that I had to have surgery. And then another decision had to be made. I had surgery booked and then we came up with a bit of a struggle with the renos in the house and it was getting delayed. And so I had to make another decision that felt really hard to make. And I had to delay surgery twice, two different times mm-hmm. because there was things delayed with the house. Yeah. And I had to delay that. And I had to, again, trust my intuition that it was okay. And I didn't do this blindly. I did consult with my treating team and said, hey, can I put this off a couple weeks? And they were in support of me doing that. But I truly had to make the decision that was right for me because 
I needed spaciousness around surgery. So we had moved mm. into the house. You didn't want to add the extra stress. And... Yeah, I knew that I needed yeah. to have a sense of grounding in my system before yeah. going through surgery. Yeah. And so we moved into the house and a week later I was having surgery. Yeah. And I also want to speak into the fact that it's so important to trust yourself with big medical decisions like that and who's going to be working with you. And I share that from the perspective of someone who has experienced a medical trauma many years ago where doctors weren't attuned in the room and things happened that were frightening and put me into a free state. And so knowing that I was going back in for a procedure and knowing that it would be scary and all the things, I was really vocal to my surgeon about my history. Mm. I was very honest with him. I yeah. said, hey, I've had PTSD from a medical trauma. And these are some of the things that don't feel good for me. And these are the things that do feel good for me. And I was very vocal about it. Mm. I wasn't going to expect someone to know what to do or mind read or anything. I was just yeah, very yeah, yeah. You got direct and also clear around what's going to support me. And he was beautiful, right? Yeah, he let you come into the room yeah. and he asked what music I would like to listen <laughs> to. And we were able to have conversations and things about Canada. He's Canadian. So yeah. that also felt really supportive for me and my nervous system yeah. to have a fellow Canadian in the room with me. <laughs> so it's these little things though, right? Yeah. It's important. No, it's important. It makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. totally. And we had the surgery and even in that moment, I remember the activation. I don't know if you remember. I remember the activation yeah. in my system and yeah. my body started to actually shake on the table yeah. and they were about to begin. They were literally about to start. And I just said, please stop. And I just was really calm and clear and just said, I need a few minutes. I'm not ready yet. And how important that is also from a nervous system perspective. Yeah. To yeah, honor those cues, yeah. to feel like I have choice, yeah, yeah. to feel that I get to take the lead a little bit and to honor a bit of a slower pace so that my system has time to metabolize what's yeah. happening. And so we waited a little bit longer. He added in some extra supports. He said, do you want a fan? Do you want that? You know, and he really was just so beautiful about it. Yeah. And that really, really helped my system to just really orient mm. to the room, to the space, to what was happening. I was very much orienting with you. So I was attuning with you and we were co-regulating together. Mm. And it made that process, you know what it was? It felt a bit like a reclamation. When I think of the last medical yeah. trauma I had, yeah, where yeah, yeah. choice was completely stripped away from me, things were done without my consent and I was not informed and it was so traumatic for me. And I was literally... That's when things went downhill for me from a health perspective yeah, yeah, was after yeah. that experience. And then this felt like such a reclamation. Yeah, it just turns all those memories and sensations and things all have been re-triggered as mm -hmm. well. So to work through it. Yeah. yeah. And it was a renegotiation yeah. in a way. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Not that I thought about that at the time, but it's right yeah, now talking about happened. it with you in hindsight. I'm like, yeah, that's actually what it felt like. Yeah. So that was all happening and I really prepped myself leading up to surgery. So like I said, I was super discerning. I was very conscious of who knew and I wasn't ready to share it publicly. And 
it got me thinking around the idea that not everybody's entitled to a vulnerability and how when we're in a really delicate state that we can be easily influenced and or impacted by other people. So I was very protective of my energy and my system. Yeah. And so that was really supportive. And then I had the surgery and we came home and I was in a lot of pain, of course. And then two days later, we got the phone call. That's right. And they said, we got all the cancer cells. Yeah. And that was such a moment. And you yeah. immediately, yeah. And you immediately yeah. ran over to me and gave me the biggest hug and a whole lot of kisses. And I just remember you rubbing my back and I just was crying out of relief. And yeah, it was a moment of a big exhale, a really big exhale. Yeah. Cause you're holding your breath while you're waiting yeah, for yeah, pathology yeah, yeah, results. Yeah, yeah. But here's the weird thing. So for anyone listening, you might think, oh, that's great. And then it's so, over and done yeah, it's over and done with <laughs> moving on. But my goodness, it felt like, and now we're just beginning <laughs> because to be honest, I had a lot of support and connection leading up to surgery. Yeah. I had a lot of support, a lot of connection, a lot of people reaching out, a lot of people checking in. And then surgery happened. I still had some support and connection. And then after those results came, those supports and connections drifted. And I really, really struggled in recovery. Recovery is a whole other ball game. And just for context, for those listening, I couldn't walk for a month. And so for me, and this is just my system, I really mobilize and regulate through movement. And so to have that outlet be taken away from me, even though I knew it was a short period of time, it was still incredibly hard. And also it's interesting because I really believed that getting that news that everything's all clear. I really did believe at the time, almost naively that, oh, everything's great moving on, Mm -hmm. but it really wasn't. It was this, I don't know. There's this like line in the sand. I feel that everybody can recall a line in the sand moment in life where it's like life before diagnosis and life after diagnosis or life before this big life change, life after this big life change. And I think I didn't realize how much it was now going to be integrated into my life in the sense of I have to get checks every three months. I have to get tests and scans and I have to really alter my life going forward because I'm such a high risk now and I have to monitor things in a different way. And I don't know if you remember, I remember when I had to go to the doctor and I remember that I had to fill out a form. Remember when you, you know how you just Mm. fill out doctor forms and it was for the first time in my life, I saw the box that said cancer and I had to check it. Yeah. (laughs) And it was this weird moment of like, Oh oh, I'm that person (laughs) who has to put a check mark there. And it felt really strange. And it reminds me also of when I first got the news. I remember having to sit down and write questions. Somebody gave me the task. They said, hey, it'll be really good for you to sit down and write down questions for the doctor. And I remember sitting there with my journal thinking, oh, I have to come up with questions to ask Mm. about prognosis and treatment moving forward and all these things. And it was such a surreal experience that 
I have to ask those kind of questions. So recovery was really hard, but it wasn't hard just for that reason. So let's go back to that other part. Yeah. Well, you don't have the outlet of getting out of the house and walking in. It's you're again forced to sit. It's almost like you're part of that whole death and rebirth cycle. You got to really work through it, and the triggers that are brought up turns out like the lack of support. As you're saying, like throughout the whole journey, you get lots of support, and then things start to move away a little bit during the recovery process. Yeah, so that brought up a whole lot of triggers and things like that. And so I don't know from you, like, you talked about the triggers and how you worked through them and how the whole process went about. So to be honest, I didn't feel I was supported in the way that I really needed to be supported in recovery. And there was also a part of me that felt a bit forgotten about. And that brought up a lot of things for me. And it brought up a lot of historical things for me about not being supported and feeling forgotten about. And it was a lot. And so here was this other opportunity of you can't go to the gym. You can't go dance. You can't go hang out with friends. You You can't go run errands. You have to sit and face off with this. And that was huge. I hear I was thinking, oh, in recovery, I'm going to have all this time. I'm going to write. I'm going to read. There wasn't a single part of me (laughs) that had any desire to do that. Nothing. So I didn't force it. I wasn't going to force it. I'm not that kind of person who's just going to force it because I have the extra time. I should be productive. No, I listened to my body and my body's like, no, you're going to just sit there. (laughs) But that also meant I had to face off with this stuff. And to be honest, I really struggled with it because I was having a hard time. It's almost as if I was having conflicting values. So on one hand, really wanting and needing support and connection and making requests for it. And then also when those things were not being met, I also wanted to honor the space that I needed and not just override that because I really needed to be discerning around space that I needed because I knew that I was wrestling with big emotions and I knew that I couldn't show up in certain situations the way I wanted to show up yeah. because I was struggling with big emotions in it. So I had to face off with it yeah, and right. it was messy and that's the only way to put it. And you and I had talked a lot. I journaled a lot. I, and mostly talk. I felt like I didn't even have the energy to journal, to be honest. I felt like all I could do was really verbalize it and name it in the space and also be witness. So for you witnessing me in my expression of that and also holding space for me to feel. And that felt really important. There's a lot to process. And so being going on that theme since November, being forced to sit and process during during COVID, being forced to sit and process during when you had the other leg thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then. I had to, I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's really excavating old triggers and things like that to really 
force you to sit and process and grow and calling growth pains is it's not easy but yeah. it's um you come out the other side a stronger and better person because of it yeah. but you never feel that in it though. Oh. <laughs> when you're in it no, yeah, you're thinking not. this is the worst yeah. i hate everything i don't want to feel or think any of this but yet when we resist it it just amplifies yeah. i guess what tools and things do you reckon did you feel like you're really used to or, or, i guess having grown through these things and resolve these things to meet those needs or to resolve those traumas mm. or triggers and things like that I wouldn't say there's a tool because I don't believe that healing is about taking a tool and using a tool and then we're better. Yeah. I don't believe that. And so for me, that journey was more about honesty. And I believe that healing is about being honest, even when honesty hurts, even when honesty is conflicting, even when honesty means change in relationships. And so I, first and foremost, I had to be honest with myself. Yeah. And that's a massive thing. Yeah. Because lots, you remember. Lots of people don't. Lots of people will resist. Yeah. You remember. There were certain beliefs that I was acknowledging that yeah. were full on. Yeah. They no one would normally speak about. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to really be honest about that. And at the time, it's not liberating by any means. It's confronting as fuck. Like, to really face off with that. And so that was going on behind the scenes and acknowledging all of that. And then there was grief, a lot of grief. And I call that living grief. And I had to really let myself be present to that in a sustainable way. I had to have boundaries, inner boundaries around when I was experiencing the living grief. So letting myself have those moments of falling apart and being messy and crying and acknowledging all of that and then also being intentional of making sure I did something to nourish myself after. So there was a lot of that. And then after that, it was contemplating how do I now show up in these certain contexts and relationships in a way that feels honest and supportive for me. So there was a lot of renegotiation Mm. in that. And that's not just because of this situation. I feel like that's been supportive just overall. It's almost as if I arrived at acceptance, but in a really organic way. It was not a forced thing. It wasn't. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't forced by any means. And here's the other thing, though. It took a while. I was thorough. A lot to do. I think it goes. It's important to say that. We can't rush the tending Mm. process. And I had to really surrender to it, truthfully. I had to really surrender to the mess of it and be okay with that. You have to. I have to. It will take the time that it takes. And trust the timeline. Because otherwise, if I'm not doing that, what am I in service of? Well, I'm trying to rush to get to this end result. But then I'm bypassing the work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The actual work. So to me, that's not a tool. It's a... It's an honoring. Yeah. Yeah. It's an honoring. Yeah. Like truly honoring. Yeah. 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 And so, so much came up in that. 
And not just, there was a lot of things, like we named one of them, but there was multiple things that came up in that process and in that journey. It's all in my journal somewhere, (laughs) but I'm not going to get into all of them because I also want to honor my own privacy of my process because not everything needs to be shared. Yeah, totally. And so that went on for quite a while. And then I started to regain mobility. Would you say like, just in the big picture of things in the context, like mentioned at the start, like the whole going through a bit of a, you feel like you've been going through a death and rebirth type process. Would you say that was almost actually going through that, that was the tipping point. That was the end of the, we might say death process before you start getting into the more growing through those past patterns and traumas and things like that into the new, the different sense of self, would you say? Or in like, and if so, like, how do you feel different? Mm, I would say that when I received the melanoma diagnosis, I definitely felt, not right away, I would say a lot further down the track, I felt that this was also part of this death rebirth journey. And I'm using that language, death rebirth, but really I don't actually think of it as death. Yeah. yeah. I actually think of it as integration mm-hmm. and really integrating all these different parts of ourself to then embody our fullest expression of self. Yeah. Totally. But we have to integrate the parts that we don't like and yeah. the parts that don't feel good by sitting with it. Yeah. I literally sitting with it like we would a guest coming over for tea. And yes, I do believe that that process was part of this death rebirth cycle. And so I knew I was in it still. I knew I was very much still in it. And so again, I had to trust the timeline. And I noticed there was parts of me that just wanted to be in the rebirth. Like, <laughs> Don't, let's just get there. Like I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I couldn't. And again, I had to surrender and honor the truth. And the truth is I wasn't there yet. And to be quite honest, I've only started to feel the edges of rebirth within the last few weeks. Mm. That's why I'm sitting here doing this episode now (laughs) because Mm. I've had, so how many months has it been? It's been four months and I'm only now sitting down to give an update podcast episode because I had to really honor that phase I was in. And once I felt this surge coming back and this life force energy truly coming back into my bones, into my body, into my cells and reorienting to life in a new way Mm. that then I felt a, the desire to actually do this, to sit down and talk about (laughs) this and record it. And also from a very integrated place versus in the mess of it still, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So what's life like now? Life now, I was reflecting on this the other day, maybe the other week, and there's been some reflection upon how there was a part of me, and this has been for many years, there's been a part of me that was in some way yearning to be the old me. And when I say that, I mean years ago me. Mm. And I was struggling for a while with that because I missed certain parts to be honest, yep. certain parts of me from previous years. And I was having this internal battle of wanting that part of me and being at resistance to where I was. Mm. 
you know? Yeah. And so with this experience, like I said before, it was very much a line in the sand moment, life before diagnosis, life after diagnosis. And in the last little while, I've really felt a huge shift and I don't yearn for that part of me anymore Mm. because life is so much better now. Yeah. And that is huge for me. That's massive. Yeah, totally. Because you know, over the years, yeah. you've heard me talk about it from time to time around. Yeah, totally. You miss the old self and you pronounce that. Yeah. Those things back. And yeah. It makes sense, you know, when you've, you've come from a place of uh, feeling that joy and then you go to a place where you're going through really hard times, you, you cling to it, you want it back. Mm. But it's not really until you see the light and the inspiration of going through that growth process that, you know, you're like, oh, well, then you can actually really see, you know, the changes you've made, the ways mm-hmm. that you've learned and grown. And it's not really until you glimpse that or start to feel that, that you're like, ah, oh, you know, I actually want that more. Mm-hmm. When you're in the thick of it, you don't see it. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's yeah. a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> definitely not. That definitely does not happen in the moment. Yeah. Like I said, it was... It's been a very messy, confronting, facing off with self with a lot of honesty and to be honest, a lot of inner mothering. That's been an important part of tending to myself in a really loving, compassionate, gentle way, even when the big stuff shows up. And then to now be at this place of actually not yearning for that old self. Mm. And being in such reverence to this now self. I think it's fucking cool. It's beautiful. It's like, <laughs> and can I, it's, it's this breath of fresh air. Yeah, and yeah, totally. I've had these moments and I've told you about them. And I think of just moments I've had in the last few weeks of, it's going to sound maybe a bit strange, but this sense of aliveness in such a new way of, experiencing the world but also taking in the world and taking in the goodness and receiving that and moments like driving to an appointment Mm. the other day and seeing a flock of birds fly in the sky and having this moment of just pure awe Mm. and the hugest smile on my face yeah that's great and i've been having so many of those moments and the only way i can describe it is being fully alive in every cell of my body Mm. and not living from the neck up only and feeling my heart and feeling this life force energy literally moving in my body again from living in a free state for so long Mm. and literally thawing out has been one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life. Mm. It's from the hardest work. Mm. The hardest work reached the most beautiful outcomes. The hardest work. Yeah, totally. Like this has been, yeah. I'm not just talking about just this journey in the last couple months, but I'm also talking about the years of work. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I also want to put that into context for people listening that this is, yeah, yeah. you know, like... <laughs> Hold on a second, pump the brakes. <laughs> I did not just all of a sudden unravel every single trauma in my life within months. the last, yeah, in four yeah. months. No. <laughs> but let me, you know what? This actually speaks to a point that I think is really important is that I've also had this 
deep respect for the work that I've done all of these years that have prepared me to receive such hard news and to go through such a hard journey. Yeah, totally. Because had I experienced that diagnosis years ago, yeah. that would have been a very different Lorita mm. meeting that situation. Yeah. And it got me thinking when I was reflecting about it before about the fact that we don't do this work when we're in a crisis only we do this work so that we're resourced to handle the crises and challenges that life will present us. Yeah. So. And so I thank God that I was so well resourced to navigate it in the way that I did Yeah. Totally. because I don't feel that I need to do any trauma processing or somatic processing mm. from surgery. Yeah, that's I don't it. feel that I need to do any of that work yeah. from going through that. that happening in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. Yeah. The best treatment for trauma is to prevent it. Yeah, exactly. And I know that that sounds so simplistic, but <laughs> truly, like, what is it that we're doing to support ourselves every day? What is the processing work that we're being intentional about so that we are regulated and resourced enough to face off with the challenges that life will inevitably throw our way because it will? Yeah. So it's not about waiting until shit hits the fan and then grasping at straws and all these tools to try to mm. be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how are we tending to ourselves and our nervous systems all the time. I always say that these tools, it's not a nervous system tool. It is yeah, a lifestyle. Process. It is a lifestyle. Yeah. And so how are we doing that? And how are we being intentional about actually processing the stuff that we've been carrying yeah. for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah. that we're not carrying it with so much weight, but that we have integrated it in a way that it's no longer in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's a, in, you know, a lot of the time it's unconscious. We don't, we don't realize the effects that these things have in our, our day-to-day lives. Mm. And it's not until after you process things and, you know, gone through them that, you know, say, oh, there she is. You know, it's not the driver's seat anymore. Mm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. life now. And I feel like a massive thing, you know, that's probably also contributed to this. I think it's good to name is like going through this stuff as we touched on earlier, like having that diagnosis, but then yet knowing that you're okay, mm. you know, that in itself is, speaks, you know, massive amounts. It's really liberating, you know, mm. and also in a way, like another little gem, you know, that you can take from this entire experience is appreciation, mm. you know, like going through that stuff and, you know, not being able to walk and things like that and being a little bit maybe existential about things. But, you know, going through these hard things really makes you appreciate it, makes you see life in situations and small little things with new light and just really gives you a lot of gratitude and appreciation. Mm. which we usually take for granted and organic gratitude and appreciation, yeah. not forced. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, when exactly. I was in the thick of it, yeah. I was like, screw gratitude journal. <laughs> well, let's just be honest. <laughs> like, no, that just yeah. was not happening. And that was not supportive yeah. for my process. And again, it comes down to what I said before, honesty, it would have been fake gratitude in those moments when I was in deep pain, it would have been bypassy 
you know? Yeah, not totally. Yeah, so yeah. arriving at this place of organic acceptance and organic gratitude and organic appreciation because of going through the honest process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah. So life now is so much better. <laughs> Even yeah. though I still have, of mm. course, challenges that I have to navigate forever because of having a diagnosis like that, you know? Yeah. But I don't want to go back to what life was like before mm. because I've met myself in such a different way. And there's a lot of genuine love mm. and reverence and appreciation isn't the right word. That doesn't feel like it names it properly for me. Mm. It feels not enough. It doesn't feel like a big enough word. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah, know. And I just feel more myself and way more intentional and grounded and rooted and honest, honest with myself. That's what I mean when I say no, that Yeah, I'm honest with myself and all parts of myself. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I feel humbled in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know how else to say it other than I feel alive yeah. in every cell of my being. And I don't know how to articulate it in a way for people to understand, but that's all the words I have is that I feel alive and it's almost as if I'm experiencing the world with fresh eyes and I'm noticing things that I haven't noticed in a really long time. And I'm actually connecting to my environment in such a deeper way. And I guess you could call that spiritual in a sense, Absolutely. but in a really grounded way, Yeah, yeah totally. you know? Seeing the miracle of life for what it really is. Mm. Yeah. And I'm also meeting relationships. Yeah. In a totally different way. Yeah. And again, this has been years of work, <laughs> not just the last four months. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. One thing I'm taking away from what you've been saying, and I think it's important to touch on, is the really important things that you can get from diving into the difficult emotions that a lot of the time is shamed and avoided and a lot you do here amongst the spiritual and personal development kind of communities and what spiritual communities a lot is almost focused on the positive stuff and everything's love and light and these other not so positive emotions of anger or shame and whatever it is whether maybe products from the ego because everything is love and light and don't focus on that stuff and all that and essentially bypassing it but if you do that you can't arrive at a bit of a unauthentic sense of happiness you can say whereas what I'm really seeing from you and it's proof and evidence of we have to be here for the entire human experience, not just for the fragments of it. And when you really go through and honor the process of feeling what's in your body, the emotions that come up and being present to it and authentic to it with the fear, the sadness, all the things that you want to maybe avoid and that a lot of religions and things will tell us to avoid. But if you really go through the process, so inviting that guest in, there's knocking at the door that you don't want to invite in and then you please leave no junk <laughs> mail please yeah <laughs> and you get the lessons from it and the reward from it and then after processing it 
that's when it seems that you've arrived at this beautiful sense of a really authentic sense of joy. Is that true for you? I'm like, I, would you add on that? Yeah, I want to share even just what I'm experiencing and hearing you share that last piece around authentic joy. And that's huge for me. And I'm talking about actual joy. Mm. When I saw that flock of birds yeah. in the sky, yeah. I had this deep sense of authentic joy. And to be honest, it has been a long time since I've felt that. Mm. And so it's been so overwhelming in a big, beautiful way to reclaim that and experience that in my body again. It's been such a beautiful journey to make contact again with joy, Mm. with awe, with pleasure. It's been overwhelming because (laughs) it's been so long and yeah. and it's true for me my process i can i can only speak for myself here that i had to go through that process of welcoming sadness in welcoming anger in welcoming grief in when they came knocking at my door yeah when no part of me wanted to yeah. of course i didn't yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're human none of us wants to meet that yeah but for me the question is okay but at what cost and how much longer is it sustainable for me to not meet this because my body will suffer? And you're right. There is a lot of messaging, particularly in the spiritual community around those parts being like you named it, how the ego. And for those of you listening, I have a very juicy episode coming up with mm-hmm. Jeff Brown. For those of you who know, that's right. And we dive all into that. So I'm not going to get into it. Just listen to that episode when it comes out soon. There's always messaging like positive vibes only. I'm all about authentic. All vibes are valid. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because I just reject a lot of that whole positive vibes only because it's so dismissive and invalidating. Yeah. You know, had somebody said that to me in the messiness of my experience of Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest, people did say it to me. It's true. People said, Oh, well, just look on the bright side. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm in a cave. <laughs> There's not even a pinhole of light coming in. So no, (laughs) that's no. Let me just honor, again, the truth. It's about being honest. Yeah, it's not true to yourself. And so I couldn't do that. It comes at a cost. For me, it comes at a cost. It denies the truth of how I'm feeling. And I need to meet that with a lot of tenderness and a lot of care. And once I can move through that for me, then yes, that was my experience of then feeling authentic joy. Yeah. That's, otherwise, it's basically, it's joy in the head in a way because mm. you're willing it. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're purposely either sidestepping, bypassing that. But if you really move down into your body and you feel those things, then mm. the authentic joy, you can really feel it from your heart. Yeah. So it's in your body. Yeah. yeah. And that's how it's felt. When yeah. Those birds, yeah. that joy was in the body. That was not yeah. just, oh, that's nice. It was a full yeah. body experience. It arises authentically yeah. instead of being willed and kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I guess the last piece I'll say on that is I'm not a space anymore to deny myself. Because when I deny myself, I deny all parts of myself. And What's the cost? My body. Yeah, totally. And I'm not okay with that anymore. And so that means I have to have honest conversations 
And sometimes that means that leads to hard conversations. And sometimes that means changes Mm. in dynamics. And sometimes that means grief, but it all leads to the same place. So that's where I am now. (laughs) And I'm feeling really good. I have a beautiful scar from surgery (laughs) and it's a beautiful reminder. And I'm really grateful first and foremost to you for being the most beautiful witness in this entire journey and not just the last few months, but the last few years, you've been such a beautiful witness. And I've also been witness to you and your growth. And that's been such an honor Mm. as well as you've navigated your own edges and we've both grown individually and together as a couple. And I'm really proud of us for that Mm. because we've done some really hard work and I'm just honestly so grateful for how you've held my tender heart. (laughs) And I'm laughing because for those of people who know me really well, I have a very tender heart and you've held it with a matched tenderness and you've really seen me in ways nobody else ever in my life have seen me. So thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure. (laughs) And exactly the same. Just the most loving, supportive partner I could ask for and, just the relationship that we have is beautiful. It's not enough words to fully describe it. But... You don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just grateful for my other supports in life. And I'm grateful for my mentors. And I'm grateful for the work that I've done leading up to this. And I'm really grateful to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really grateful to be here. And I'm grateful that I have this energy now and I'm grateful to be back into this chapter of life where I feel that I genuinely want to participate in my work again and I genuinely want to participate in this podcast again and it's coming Mm -hmm. from a place of authenticity definitely not hustle culture I do not live by any of that ever (laughs) so I'm just really grateful that I get to be here and I'm grateful for all of you listening to this episode this has been a really vulnerable, honest conversation. And I'm grateful for all of you listening and I'm grateful for your patience. I know that I've received messages from people saying, are you doing any more podcasts? And the answer is yes, (laughs) but I have about five or seven episodes that are ready to be released shortly, but it didn't feel right to just launch them without doing this first. It felt really important to me to do an update and to give people context as to what's been happening behind the scenes. So thank you all for listening. I am deeply grateful for your love and continued support. And I'm grateful for your continued support as we continue on this podcast journey. So there'll be a lot more juicy episodes coming down the pipeline (laughs) and they're very profound with a lot of wisdom from my guests. So I'm super excited. And if this podcast has sparked anything for you, please message me, let me know and share it with anybody who you may feel might have something to take away from it. Sending you all a ton of love and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for tuning into today's Unraveled podcast episode. If you are navigating your own healing journey, be sure to check out my Instagram page at Wildly Unraveled, where I share lots of tools and insights for healing your nervous system, building healthy relationships, 
and reclaiming your voice, power, and body. I love sharing and educating you all, and it truly lights me up to support you on your own journey of reclamation. So I want to share with you all the ways that you can receive my direct support. You can sign up for my free newsletter by visiting my website at www.laritagorman.com. And that is where I really dive deep into topics such as trauma, mental health, and attachment. And also where I share more intimately about my own personal journey of healing. There is also a link on my website where you can join the Reclaim Collective, a program that supports women in cultivating more confidence, helps them connect more deeply with their body and intuition, and provides practical tools for having healthy relationships and a regulated nervous system. Give yourself the gift of being part of a powerful collective of women who are rising up from their own rubble, reclaiming all parts of who they are, and leading lives that feel good. You aren't meant to heal alone, and now you don't have to. We would be so honored to have you join us there. As always, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a juicy episode. And if something really resonated with you today, share this episode with somebody and leave a review for us. We love hearing from you. I look forward to bringing you another powerful episode. And until then, stay wild.